You're listening to the Mobcast Network. This episode of Between the Line is brought to you by ScreenplayReaders.com, where you can get 10% off your screenplay coverage order by typing in Between the Line at the coupon section. It's the place I go for my coverage, and I think you guys would really enjoy it. So again, if you want 10% off your next round of coverage, go to ScreenplayReaders.com, and upon checkout, type in Between the Line to receive 10% off your total order. And roll sound. Sound speeds and marker. Action. Welcome to Between the Line, the filmmaking podcast that navigates the line between the practical and the passionate, rejection and acceptance, success, and we are your hosts, Horst Sarubin and Drew Hall. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, pretty good. How you doing? Good. Oh, good. Yeah, good. We uh, we'll spent a little, little time, uh, you know, doing family stuff. Yeah, coming out of the gap, yeah. you know, separating it out. It's, uh, it's always interesting that, uh, you know, specific times in the year you have Certainly in the, in the creative industry, you always have like the great shutdown uh, going on a break, yeah. if you will. And everyone kind of takes that time to, to do the, those things. So we're talking about the end of the year. Yeah, if, of course. If, if you didn't realize, normally the end of the year is the great shutdown. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Like L.A., I heard somebody else talking about it. And they were talking about how Los Angeles, like once everyone leaves because they all go home to their families somewhere. Yeah. Once everyone leaves, like L.A. is a really magical place for those two weeks of of absence uh you know and it's it, i i personally haven't experienced it but from what i understand it's a different thing new zealand new zealand has a similar culture it's because a lot of it isn't aren't these big stores a lot of it is privately owned and uh it's you know summer in new zealand for christmas everybody just takes a break they go to their their beach house and you know there's two weeks where everything is closed you know you have trouble buying milk but uh, it's also kind of kind of nice to be able to go to the theater and there's nobody in it in the yeah. big cities. So yeah, by the time this airs, though, we're in the beginning of the new year. So well, here we are. Well, so that that's the thing. It, it reminds us of the past year, and you know, this time of year, the beginning of the new year, right. the end of the last year. You you look at things as we're doing right now. You look at your business, the what you've accomplished, what you haven't accomplished, um, you know, what you hope to accomplish, and. This has an interesting side effect uh, that isn't necessarily business. I mean, it affects it, but it's the emotion that comes with it. Absolutely. The the emotion behind, uh, let's face it, if you're in the business, you probably own your own business. If you're a, a, a crew or if you're uh, above the line, below the line, wherever, right, between the line, wherever you land, uh, you are your own brand, which means your own business. And you start considering what are your goals for the next year. Hopefully you're doing that. You know, it's a good practice, but everyone kind of approaches it differently. But the emotional side of that. Right. So a lot of people go, they look at the end of the year and that's a big emotional swell. Then they kind of kick up. It's a new year. I'm wiping the slate clean. Here we go. Uh, joke on set we used to have because it's never said correctly is tabula rasa. Uh, it's an inside bit. But, you know, you're, it's that old thing. You're wiping that slate clean yeah. and here we are coming into it fresh. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of things that you, you know, like I said, you reflect on the things that you didn't necessarily accomplish. And that can bring some uh, negative emotions. That Absolutely. Can, you know, bring some self-doubt, some, you know, feelings of failure. And obviously this ties into the holidays all up. You know, everybody has a hard time around the holidays and maybe New Year's as well. Um, but how does that relate specifically here to this film industry, I think, is what we want to talk about today. Absolutely. And the cool part is we have a, a really interesting interview we grabbed at AFM with a, an actor friend of uh, and producer, uh, his name is Jalen Moore. He's a, you know, I did a movie with him, and Jalen's positivity is one of those things that just you just want to be around. Like I just want to hang around and, and and spend time with him and enjoy. He's just such a great dude. So we ended up grabbing an interview with him because we had dinner, and then we we saw him again a couple of days later and said, "Hey, let's do this interview." So I will apologize a little bit for the audio. We are still kind of learning our recorder device. We didn't have all of our our pieces in play, so you will note there is some background noise. I did my best to like clean it up. But I'm not Jared Jones, the world-class audio engineer who we'll have on eventually. Uh, but I am a, I, I did the best I could to make it work. And one of the things I like, why well, I like we're using this one and we're not going back and getting a clean version, which we discussed, maybe we do, uh, is the emotion. Cause, Absolutely. Because where we are, you know, we're at AFM and we're in a place where there's a lot of wheeling and dealing going on. We're in a, like a restaurant bar setting where there's a lot of people trying to make deals. A lot of people maybe meeting a new uh, agent or maybe they're trying to sell a script or maybe they're getting some funding. And while I, you, know, it, you don't necessarily hear all those things happening, that's what's happening. So there is a ton of emotion in this room at, at the moment. And I, I kind of like, you know, maybe have that in the back of your head as we're having this discussion with, uh, with Jalen. Yeah. So here's that interview again 
We apologize slightly for the audio, but not for the content. What, what is your challenge for you as an actor right now? Obviously, you have a good management team. But what, yeah. are, what are the challenges? And, and with those challenges, how do you keep yourself fluid enough to like keep getting like to feed your family? Right. Wow. There's and a lot. There's, so there are. Go, uh, no, no, no. This is raw, man. Let's keep it real. Yeah. Um, first off, let me state that there's nothing glamorous about this industry. For everybody that thought there's a lot of glamour, you have the red carpets, you have the parties, sure, but that's usually work. Yes. That's networking. Um, and as an actor, let's go with that first. I had to continuously grow with my competition, um, which there's two trains of thoughts. You're either competing with everybody else or you're competing with yourself. So I like to compete with myself so I get let down, make myself better. It's a martial arts athletic thing that I grew up with. And I found that being an actor, the biggest challenge was getting seen. Because you see a breakdown, because we're not supposed to get the breakdowns, quote unquote, but everybody knows we get the breakdowns. And so you look at the breakdowns, and then you're like, oh my God, I'm so perfect. And I'm not talking about a stretch. Like, oh, I'm so perfect to play Clark Kent Superman. Not really. He's Caucasian and blue eyes. I'm ethically ambiguous. Maybe one day. So I mean, when you see a breakdown that's like perfect for you, so then you call your reps. Sometimes they get annoyed. They're like, trust me, I'm doing my job. And you're like, why am I not getting in? And then they say it's because of pictures or it's because of this. Or... So unless you have really, really great reps, which I fortunately now do, um, you still have to continuously hustle. Um, and so I've realized to be seen, you have to do everything. You have to go to the parties that you don't want to go to because it's out of sight, out of mind. So... If you're not, and it's nothing, I've learned now, this January will be honestly 15 years for me in Los Angeles. And if you're not in front of somebody, nothing personal, they're not going to remember you. There's somebody else out there hustling that's in your category anyway. So there's a quote from Jerry Rice that I follow. It's, uh, today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. And that is on my mirror and that's what I live by because... Going to the parties, going to casting workshops. Dude, casting directors make so much bank and you're paying 40, 50, 35 a pop just to meet them and act in front of them. A lot of them are really cool and genuine and do remember you, especially if you leave a good mark. But like, why do you have to do that? You shouldn't have to, but that's the name of the game. If I don't, somebody else that's ridiculously good looking and ethnically ambiguous, the young rock, somebody else will do that. So I'm like, dude, I have a baby. She's 10 months. I'm buying diapers. I have to do this no matter what. I'll do everything I can. Now you have Runaway Productions. So as opposed to when I came out to L.A. 15 years ago, it was the normal get an audition, you get lucky, you book, bada bing. Create your own luck, put yourself in those scenarios, get in front of the right people, you create more opportunities. I have some friends of mine that have shot up the ladder and they're A-listers. They always give me credit. They're like, dude, you're about to pop. And it's so amazing for us to see the fact that you never gave up. You can hit your 15-year mark and you're, you're doing it. Now you're producing too and you're writing. And So I've learned to branch out with Hollywood because if you do one thing, it's stuck. So I went where the production went. I surrounded myself with the team. A lot of actors come out here and they think, um, oh, I just need myself and that's it. They don't realize you need a team, meaning I have a therapist. You need that. I have a career coach. I have an entertainment lawyer when needed. I have a manager. I have an agent. Um, I have an awesome wife who's my best friend and helps me through my hard times. You need to surround yourself with a healthy team. I have an acting coach and teacher. So without these elements, you're alone. You'll get eaten alive by the other people. And so I saw that production went to New Orleans, my career coach. I got a call from, well, hold on. I got a call from a friend of mine who's a production designer um, in New Orleans named Nate Jones. I think you guys might know him. He's the best. He called me in 2011 and said, hey, man, I know your acting career is kind of up and down. You should come out here, dude. You'd be a shark in a pond. You're a great actor. Like, come out here. There's nobody with your look, your qualifications, and your discipline. I said, thanks, bro, but no way, man. I'm all about L.A., dude. I'm going to book something and blow up. I'm going to get Twilight, dude. No, Taylor Lautner did. Um, so 
He's just such a young, good-looking guy with a 16-pack. I got a 15-pack. He beat me out. He beat me out. one more pack. He had one more pack. Part of the wolf pack. Um, So I, I, in 2012, I took the leap. I shaved my head. I recreated my look, my whole attitude about the industry. My career coach kicked me in the balls and said, you need to do this. My fiance at the time was like, I will support you. I think you should do it. So as a personal trainer, I had celebrities on my roster, uh, senior citizens, children, athletes. I was making so much money as a trainer and I dropped it all. I gave some of my clients to my wife, the rest of my friends, leaped, went to New Orleans. That year I spent a total of nine months back and forth planning a wedding over FaceTime. Um, And I booked eight films that year. Yours being one of them. I took a leap and I did it. And everyone in LA saw my resume stack. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh my God. And I said, they would praise me as if it's this glamorous ride. Like, holy crap, you're the best. I can't believe it. And I said, dude, I'm eating tuna cans and lettuce and sleeping on couches like a frat boy. And I'm getting married. There's nothing glamorous about this. But you know what? It's okay. I'm all about the work. The money will come later. So the, because of that, because of the guidance from friends and my career coach, and I got an agent in uh, Louisiana once I started booking all those films, it led me to a point where I curved around in 2013 when I met the manager I have now. Without, and Steven saw potential. He saw my resume stacked due to the fact that I booked eight films out of the South. And New Orleans has become like my second home. I do have a sweet spot for a mobile. And uh, from there, we, we, we took it to a whole new notch. He got me, he kicked down the doors and got me in for Homeland. Then I booked a recurring yeah, part you, on that. You, now, your role Homeland was you know, near to my heart because yeah. I saw potential of you being a uh, badass or a spec ops dude from day one. You did. Homeland, Thank you for that. Yeah, you, well, no, I'm just saying. Yeah. You did it yourself. But then I, on Homeland, now you're playing in a much bigger space. Yes. Much funner space. More toys and more bits. And, uh, all those what, toys what were so Damien's fun. Damien's last name? Damien, Damien Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. One of my all-time favorites. Now, I'm <laughs> you're, now one of my boys is playing in sequences in a show that's just so rich. Um, what was the Homeland? Man, that, exp- when I, that was one of my favorite shows. Yeah. And so, oh, wow. so, so here's about the hustle. Um, Steven called the office and said you need to see my client right. and they said we're seeing bigger names and he said you don't understand he's from a military background family he knows how to do all that stuff he speaks the languages that you need for this, these episodes Arabic Farsi even Spanish if needed English he's ethically ambiguous. like he just he totally pitched the rainbow and they're like fine we'll see a tape I sent a tape in Steven called me and said I want you to do another tape this is how good of a manager he is. He's like, I don't think that was good enough. Bring it. Go to your acting coach. I was like, I did. He's like, dig deeper. I'm not saying that tape. You have 24 hours. I'm like, okay. So I'm a, Brittany, my wife being a brilliant writer and actress, helped me out. I went to my coach again. I got a little more grounded into the character. Played The name of it was Eric Baraz. Sent it out. Turns out out of 500 guys for that one role that I, that I got, Alex Ganza picked me out. The creator of the show was like, Who's this? He's perfect. That's the guy I want. And then they booked me out of New York. So that's come on, man. That's, Dude, like, that's it was it was such a win. Now. Yeah, it was. But awesome. going back to what you were saying earlier, which is an interesting note with the team. Yeah. Right, is all of those components? Let's call them coaches. If yeah. We apply you as a singular football team, all or whatever. We we'll use that metaphor. Each one of those different coaches or advisors helps lead you into a position. Of yes. Race, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So and they still do. You. So that's kind of. An interesting note on the side, yeah. from our perspective, is even though we're not necessarily an acting coach, a life coach, a manager, uh, we're always fighting for an agent as a director. It's, yeah. it's, it's tough, but that's kind of the, the, the space we navigate. So then, did you have a question? Well, I was just going to say that, um, personally, I find your journey, obviously, as anybody, inspirational. Thank you. But uh, I find it also reassuring, even though I don't act. I've taken a similar leap. I was discussing, you know, I've had this great work, I'm doing all this amazing VFX stuff, and then at some point, either you're going to go or you're not. And, you know, sleeping on couches, like, you know, moving back in with my mom. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things that I can't emphasize enough. If you're not willing to get uncomfortable, 
if you're not willing to risk everything, then you don't really want it. You know? That's true. And it's about how bad you want it and how, how much you're willing to fight. And, so, and to be honest, after Homeland, first of all, I was there for a month. And when I met Damien Lewis, I forgot that he's British. Right. So I'm so used yeah. to watching Homeland. Yeah, always, always. So here I am at wardrobe, and he walks in, and he's like, boys, because it was me and some of the other guys playing the Spec Ops team. And he's like, oh, you know what's me? And I'm like, whoa. I literally said, whoa. And he started, he started laughing. I said, I'm sorry, I forgot that you're British. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, yeah. Won't go get a drink at the pub. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah, let's go get a drink. We hung out that whole month. We played tennis together. My wife came to visit me, and I surprised her. I'm like, hey, we're going to go play tennis at this country club. She's like, how'd you get us in the club? I'm like, I got pulled. Don't worry. <laughs> Come on. Look who you're talking to, the young rock. So we show up at this country club, and then here comes this like awesome like sports car. Pulls up. And she's like, who's that? I'm like, oh, it's our other partner is joining us. Here comes Damian Lewis. She flips. She starts hitting me with a racket. You didn't tell me. I would have like put my makeup on. I'm like, oh my god. Like, she's obsessed with Damian Lewis. It was so funny. Not. He's like, hello, love, and gives her a kiss. Like it was hilarious, and we had a we had a blast. The guy's awesome in tennis, by the way. He kicked my butt. I said, yo, you want to spar? I'll win in Spartan. Okay, you win in tennis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, fair enough. I'll play football though. Okay, fine. So, so arguably, that's, that's a little pro tip though. Like, that is a pro tip. Research who you're going to work with. Know what they do, where they're from, who they are. You never know. Like, there's a director that I really want to work with soon, named Kerry Fukunaga, who wrote and did oh True Detective. Yeah, oh, yeah. Kerry's from Oakland. Yeah. And he's still plugged into the East Bay. I'm finding out that we may have mutual friends. Oh, so believe me, I'm going to pull that plug. Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, Kerry, how you doing? From Oakland. So, although we don't talk like that. Do they, I was like, do they talk like that? Okay. Yeah, my Jersey, New York accent <laughs> came out because I have a lot of friends from the East Coast as well. It's just more fun to do it that way. So, uh, we don't want to say names just to be safe, but your daughter's nine months old. Nine and a half, ten, ten months, months now. old. Yeah. Ten months old. Yes. So, what happened to you mentally the moment you guys found out you were pregnant? Oh, shit. <laughs> that was the first, I will admit, I'm like, I'm a family guy and I want a family. But you never, you're always like, I need to wait until I'm that series regular so I get more cash flow. You know, like, because to be honest, having a baby at series regular. I'm telling you, I was like, here's the plan. Like, because I thought after Homeland, everything would pop. Yeah. It didn't. Things got steady and then more came in. It got me in the door for more opportunities. Right. And when I got those opportunities, I was going well prepped and I would book Red Band Society. I was occurring on that. NCIS LA, I was top of the show guest star. And then the originals, tons tons of work started happening, which is a blessing. But so here comes a baby and you're like, oh God. And at first I started to panic a little bit because what I envisioned my life to be when I'm ready to start a family, you know, I'm going to be 30 something and have a house, be a series regular, be the Rock Jr. or even the Tom Cruise, but the ethically ambiguous one. And, you know, because Tom Cruise is an enterprise and that's my overall goal is to be an enterprise like Tom Cruise. But yeah, actually, yeah, that's it. There's more to it. And singing to Hugh Jackman, song and dance, man. That's why I love him. But that's it. Let me come back. Um, so the kid, that, it, it lit a fire under me. That's when I had to go back to my team. In panic and crisis mode, I went to my career coach. I went to my therapist. I went to my acting coach, my friends. They had to calm me down saying, hey, man, it's all good. This is life. You can't ever plan for a kid. You can, but I mean... It's never the way you expect it to be. I and I haven't met anyone to this day that it, no, no, it's headed I mean, that way. Both my kids are yeah. complete uh, happy moments. Right? Yeah, right? <laughs> In the film world, we have a lot of happy Happy, accidents. thrilled moments. They're happy, thrilled moments. Yes. And, and it's, the only reason I even ask it is because I think it's a very valuable point of one of the most, one of the greatest temptations to me yeah. as a, prior to having two kids, one and a half of the moment, but prior to having a kid was this thing of, okay, well, you know what? If I have kids one day, I can push it off, push it off, push it off, because I'm going to get so career zeroed in, right? right that all I'm going to narrow into is just seeing that little slice. And for me personally, the best thing that happened for my career, my creativity, and my vision 
was once I had a kid, suddenly I had to look at a whole lot of new things in a different way. Yes. So decisions I made, um, uh, you know what, I'll go, I'll go out to dinner with these guys, I'll pick up the tab because I, I have to think about picking up that tab now because it affects a lot. Man, more. you and I are the same. Uh-huh. Brittany's like, you can't buy shots for your boys anymore. That's exactly what I You can't just take them out and buy dinners left and right. On my phone last night from Sarah, like, don't be buying all the drinks. Brittany, I said, well, I got to buy the first round. These yeah. are my boys. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. like, that's fine. Put it on the credit card, I'll be a write-off. But, um, well, you're right. I've learned now, work smart, not hard. Right. So that's now what I'm doing. And Which I think be- and because ahead. of my baby coming, that my career coach is like, well, your wife keeps telling you you have a gift. Not only as an actor and, and everything I do with like music and dance and whatever, you are a producer. You're so good at connecting people and connecting things and... You can sell ice to Eskimos, like, but you'll put your name behind a good product. You should produce. And now that the kid coming, I said it's time to branch out, and I want to do something within my power. Because as an actor, you only have so much power, then you're powerless. You can do the best audition in the world on tape or in person. You're like, dude, I nailed it, and then you don't get that call. Then you start to freak out. You're like, was it me? Was it what I was wearing? Man, maybe I should have said that one sentence like this. Right. And I've learned to not do that anymore because now that I've been producing and I've been in rooms and audition rooms on the other side, now I'm seeing like, God, I love that actor. He was phenomenal. There's something about that other kid. His essence is perfect for this role. We could just coach him and get him ready. Like the other guy was way better, but this kid just has something about him. He's got the light, something about the voice. It just fits the imagination of the writer and what the producers brought together. So now I'm getting, and I always knew that, but now that I'm actually in those rooms, really get it. Yeah, your brain you know. goes in a different mode, right? Yeah, so now I'm not taking it so personally at my own auditions. When they come rolling in, we just Which move forward. arguably might make you a little more loose. I think that's why I've been booking more, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So look, yeah. I, at least from yeah. my perspective, living never on the other side of the camera. I'm always, you know, I'm always on the casting side. Yes. So the thing that I resonate with is I talk to the person. Mm. You know, they come in, they do the read, and then I like to talk to them. Because yeah. really, I'm in a relationship with this person for whether it's one day, two hours, or six months. I'm in, a, I'm in bed with that person, so they better be cuddly. And they right. better fit the family mold. The thing is, if someone's nervous and rigid versus someone who's relaxed. They're not free. They're not free. They're not- and I need free because there's going to come a time that they'll literally sit down and be like, I liked it. Can we try it this direction? And maybe you really were in love with the way you were going Right. If you're caught in that mess, man. You can't change that stuff around. Here's two things I want to tell you so I don't forget them. One, my career coach, Barbara Deutsch, always says to me, perfect gets you the callback. Freedom gets you the part. Oh, wow. What a great quote. That's great. Just be free. Right. Now, she can be mad that you just said this on a podcast. No, that's why I prefaced it with her name. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's a good plug. She's got a book, Barbara Deutsch. Check her out. She is a savior. But yeah. I live by that. Perfect gets you the callback. Freedom hooks you the part. So many auditions I go in there, I'm just free with it. Yeah. Sometimes the lines might not be there, but I'm there. Yeah. And I'm in. Yeah. And I'll throw my own flares and my own buttons at the end and the people love that. Right. Because I'm free. Right. Um, there's something I want to step back actually in regards to the acting role that I forgot to say was if any actors are listening but and or directors or anyone, I really feel that if you have your heart set on something and you commit to it and you, whether whatever you believe, universe, Buddha, God, whatever you call it, to me, to me personally, it's all the same. It's, it's love. It's, it's energy. But when you commit to that, sometimes life will give you other routes. And you got to go with them. For example, I didn't want to be a trainer. I ended up being really great at it. And I studied kinesiology. And people loved me. And I had a sense of helping people with their goals or helping them. Years later, I look back. All the clients that I went through and the network that I built from just training have all come twofold. Now, it's wow. because of my training relationships, I have these producers now calling me going, dude, I know you're not training anymore, but I saw your work, check this out, I'm doing this film. Or I have to introduce you to so-and-so. Right. But they know me and they trust me because I was there in their home for years. And I never would have built that network yeah. had it not been because, of, now I'm not telling everybody to go be a personal trainer, I'm just saying it's There's funny. A surge of personal trainers. Oh, there actually has been. Oh, it's the sure. new waiter job. Yeah. Which is sad because a lot of people just think they can be a trainer. And it's now put like a bad name on people that really are good trainers and want to help people. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, for example, my wife, 
she was fighting. She's such a brilliant writer. She has a young voice. I call her the John Hughes of her generation. And she kept fighting it. I don't want to be a writer. I don't want to be a writer. I'm an actress. I'm an actress. I went to conservatory. I'm phenomenal. I'm like, I know, but you keep oddly getting these like writing opportunities. People read your samples. Like, do it. She finally, as our career coach, kicked her in the butt. She finally dove into it full force. And now we have screenplays that are optioned very close to closing. People are hiring her to write now, rewrite, ghost write. I mean, I was like, look at that. Yeah. And the funny thing is that network is guiding her into a huge ring of powerful professionals that at any point could say, Brittany, you're a really good actress too. Let's just throw her in for this part. Right. Right. As opposed to the old, hey, I'm blonde and hot, let me go audition. Yeah. Like one in a million billion here in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, so, that, that's a funny thing, though. The universe was showing her the pattern. Yes. Like, that's how I see it. I always look yeah. for the pattern. I'm, I'm a pattern guy. So I start to see a series of beats or something. Like, on cue, blonde and blue hair just walked by. Yeah, exactly on right. cue, so, literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a sign. <laughs> right when we said that. Hey, that's how it works, man. <laughs> see, I was saying patterns. A pattern happens. Right on point. Yeah. It's here it is. So... Because uh, we'll get close to closing off, yeah. so we have a little time to downplay. So, what is what going forward? What do you have? Uh, I like to throw complex questions because I feel like you get more honest answers. So, what do you have going forward? What What do you have like kind of to close out with? If you're going to give those, because you've given stupid good advice, you sound like a Tim Ferriss podcast. You're bringing us credibility that horse and I don't normally have. And what are your kind oh, of thing? What would your closing outs be to, to, it doesn't matter what the profession is, but ideally they're in the industry. Yeah. How do you close that out and get them like kick in the pants to do something great? I would say this, but whatever you're destined to do, whatever your profession is, as you're pursuing it, follow the patterns of what's given to you. Find something that stokes your pilot light. As my, again, this is all my, Barbara's going to kill me. She's like, give me my secrets. The pilot light is something that when you get that <gasps> feeling, like if you play guitar and you're like, oh my God, this feels so good. It makes you happy and that becomes your hobby. That's stoking your pilot light or it's singing karaoke or singing and recording music. I don't know. You have to do something to treat your spirit and give your spirit a hug for all the hard work. For me, it's martial arts and music. And, and well, for me, it's a lot of things, but I tend to do them all. Sometimes I do too much. So I would say... Really, structurally, find yourself a damn good career coach. We all need one. Or a mentor. Really good mentor. Um, I think therapy is healthy. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're, you have a problem. It's someone to talk to. It's, it's someone to vent to that has an unbiased opinion and that's a professional that can help guide you to peace and harmony and focus. So structure and get yourself a really good team of friends, uh, a loved one professional team, meaning like a career coach, a therapist, an acting coach, or if you're a director, a mentor, or something, definitely dive into books. Uh, I, I, I try my best. I have fallen off this past month because I've been so busy, but when I'm on a good a good schedule, I'll read 10 pages a day. I get a really good motivational book. Wake up in the morning. Now I get up early because the kid. And Jeff Olson, who is a profound CEO and a motivational speaker. Amazing. He always said, if, if you read 10 pages a day, every day, how many pages is that in a year? Right. Think about it. Yeah. So those 10 pages a day are brain food. And it's, it's, it's read a positive book by Jim Rohn, Jeff Olson, um, Malcolm uh, Gladwell, call, Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. You Gladwell. Uh, I always mix it up. Yeah. Don Miguel Ruiz. I mean, there's just there's so many. There's a plethora of them. So these are all little tips that find what works for you. Uh, and I think it works for every type of genre. You got to keep the human spirit happy and continue to hustle. Because remember, if you're not, and if you don't, somebody else is. So all I know with that Jerry Rice quote is, today I do what others won't, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. So there's our Jalen Moore interview. God, what uh, a lovely human being. You know, what's funny is like we tease him about being, uh, I tease him all the time about being the rock junior. <laughs> um, but he really, you know, like Dwayne, uh, yeah. I'm just going to call him Dwayne if that's okay with you. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he doesn't mind me yeah, giving sure. you permission Absolutely. to call him Dwayne. Uh, right now, if we had the insert, he would say, you know, what was the, the rock joke he would do on wrestling? It was like, uh, the rock doesn't care. You know, is that <laughs> um, but one of the funny things is they're both such positive people. And you can see that, like, I enjoy following 
Dwayne Johnson on, on Instagram and uh, really Twitter. Facebook too. Uh, I follow his stuff because his posts are always really enlightening. And despite him going through some challenges and, and, and kind of going through bits, he, he always shows the other side of it. You know, he worked hard to get there and he, and he talks about that idea. And a lot of times it's weightlifting related or workout related because there is a nice simple analogy behind you work hard and you build muscle, right? It's yeah. the same kind of thing. Um, and I think I haven't heard it yet, but his Oprah, supposedly his Oprah interview, she has like a master class or something. I forget what she calls it, where he comes on and he talked about his, his struggles with depression was supposedly just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and with Jalen, I mean, it is, you know, absolutely sincere. You know, I just, I just met Jalen on, on this trip, um, uh, a few days before this interview. And while there is, you know, a certain purposeful mechanism to being positive, that doesn't mean that it's false. And that doesn't mean that he is, is at all being, you know, a liar with this. He is genuinely that positive. And he uses that to, you know, create positivity around him, which helps him to be more positive. And, and I, I you know, I mean, in a, I fell in love with the guy. He is just a super lovely person. Oh, no, he, you can't, you can't go wrong. And, and I mean, Brittany's, his wife is amazing, but my, my, his kid is the cutest kid. And I've said it multiple yes. times. I say it all the time. Um, you know, I love my daughter very much, uh, uh, but his kid is like the cuddliest child you'll ever hold. Um, while she lets you hold her at some point, she's no longer going to be holdable, right. To, yeah. to the outside guy. But, uh, yeah, they're wonderful people. And that positivity kind of comes through in a lot of the stuff, not to say, and Jalen will tell you he's had struggles, you know, and he's had challenges and, and he's he mentioned some in the interview, but he still kind of moved through them and saw them as a moment, a learning moment, uh, to kind of push forward and, and find something greater about himself, which I think is always truly an important side of it. So, yeah, I mean, we all have struggles. Right. And especially in this film industry, we'll have struggles. You know, we have struggles of rejection. Right. right. We have struggles of, uh, you know, the pressures because this is a hard business. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have the, the struggles of the struggle, you know, right. trying, trying to get your career started if you haven't yet. Trying to get to that next level if you haven't yet. Trying to get to that magical place, you know, where if only I get this show or make this much money or do this, everything will be perfect. And there, there's that constant struggle that we deal with. And, and it all can be, you know, um, it can give you some negative emotions. And you see it. There's, there's screamers. There are, you know, people that will fall into a lot of bad behaviors, a lot of addictions, a lot of abusive behaviors. And, and you know, that's, that's what a lot of the, uh, you know, the TV shows that, you know, and the magazines, you know, feed off of is, is telling those stories. And, you know, it's there. I've felt all of those emotions. And, um, you know, it's like, how do, we, how do we deal with it? How do we get past it? What a world it would be, though, if we, if we spent more time, not, not hiding behind those, but like in that space, if we spent a little time showing the positive side, you know, it doesn't sell probably as much, but it, I wish it would, uh, just because there is, there's so much more to be learned from that space than there is from the negative space. Like you can learn not to do these things, but watching someone with a positive influence, I think, uh, yields a better result than the negative. You know, for me, my, one of my personal things, and I suffer with depression that I have no idea where it comes from. It just comes out of the blue. Uh, certain things can trigger it. One of them is rejection. I, I sometimes, uh, not all the time, but I, you know, uh, rejection can set that forward. And for me, it's, you know, having been on the indie circuit for a while, it's the rejection of film festival stuff. Like you send that email with the greatest hope or that, uh, film freeway or, or without a box or whatever it may be. You send that, you click that send button or pay now button really is what you're doing. Hmm. You pay that fee with the greatest of hopes that maybe you'll get that break. Maybe you'll be lucky enough to get in, you know, certainly the way film festival culture is certainly centered on uh, big ones, Sundance, Tribeca, you know, uh, TIFF, um, South by. So you, you want to get into one of those because it feels like, oh, as soon as I get in one of those, I get this next thing. And then this unlocks this and this unlocks this. But the, the reality of it is it still comes down to an audience and it still comes down to someone appreciating the product for what it is. And because those may not like it, it doesn't mean it doesn't work somewhere else. Sometimes it's finding that. But I always, I, I end up in that rut of, God, it just, at one point, I, I think I had like, I, I think I was out to seven or 10 festivals. And because I had done it stupidly, I'd staggered them all to be, or I didn't stagger them. They're all relatively close together. So within a week, oh man, it, it's like seven to 10 rejection letters. And that's like getting punched in the gut 
creative gut seven to 10 times and it hurts and it's painful and you have to deal with it. And of course that triggers off like, man, maybe I'll just, I'll just do something else. I'll go back to, I don't know why I have that deep voice. That's my sad voice. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of inside out. Oh, okay, so that was okay. sadness. Yeah. Well, but it's, you know, the creative person and you put something out there that you, you know, have invested a lot of time into and, for whatever reason, at the moment you hand it over to someone, you there's that voice in you that is like, they're going to love this. This is the best thing I've ever written, filmed, shot, whatever it is. And this person that I've handed it to, they're going to love it. Right. And, you know, there, there's that other part of your brain that's going, now, come on, you know, you get some perspective here. But that little kid or whatever it is inside of you that is waiting for that person to come back and say, man, you're a genius. This is the best thing I've ever watched. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then when they come back and they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not bad for like, you know, a first draft. And you're like, I just, you know, rewrote that yeah. thing 25 times or whatever it is. It, it is a kick and it's a kick in the pants. And you're just like, what am I doing? I don't know. I look, I have the one trigger and I've talked about it to you before uh, sitting when, when, you know, certainly we fall into the non-traditional category in some ways. Yeah. Right. And so some of the stuff we've done in the past was non-traditional. So we would get this uh, I would get this executive to turn around for me from a screening that was just for them and, and their team. And they'll turn around and say, man, you made a real movie. That's like <laughs> that's the one. It's like it's like a backhanded. You know, I always hope secretly he means. R-E-E-L. I was like, yeah, I did. I made a 10 real movie. And instead it's, you know, it's not. Yeah. What's and, a guy like you making something that might pass for a real movie? Right. That's what it feels like. It's totally what it feels like. And it, and it's, you know, nobody wants to be in that space, but it's, it's the reality of it. So it's, it's a challenge because it yeah. is hard and that does hurt. And even though I can shrug it off, it's still the wound or for me, whatever in the moment, if I'm sensitive at that space, it happened. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of the, the, the rough parts about the emotional side of being a creative in, in, in the film world. So uh, one thing that's helped me over time, uh, and it still happens. I still have that. Oh, they're going to love it. But I have run into enough people and there, and I, I'm pretty sure everybody has, it's been in it. That are the people that tell you what you want to hear to make you, you know, like them to make you jump on the project, to make you get what they need from you. Right. And, and it might not be malicious. It might not be evil. But I have found this industry is full of people that tell you what you want to hear. And more often than not, that has, you know, that doesn't do me good, right? Uh, I might get on a show because of that, but then uh, I'm like, oh, this actually isn't in my best interest to do this show because that person told me what I wanted to hear. And, you know, now I'm not, you know, I'm doing the show for less than my value or I'm doing the show as a favor to them and I'm missing out on the, whatever the deal is. And then those people who do tell you to your face, honestly, hey, look, um, it's not my thing. I see some critical flaws here, here, and here, but I see value here, here, and here. Those can be so important and can actually improve your work, whatever it is. And this is technical too, you know. Absolutely. Uh, and, And so when I find people that can be that honest with me, and not brutally honest, not mean, uh, give you actual good cr- criticisms. And, you know, it, not just negative as well. I mean, that's if you, let me just say this right now, my, my, little, my little advice to people and, and request, if you're giving notes on anything creative, whatever it is, um, obviously the things that aren't working are important. But to me, just as important are the things that are working because that is often the solution because you know, the, the, the creative has to figure out the solution for themselves. They're the ones who have to go through and, you know, sort out making it into a better piece. And giving them the, the things that do work as well as the things that don't work is the key to helping them get there. No, uh, you know, a couple of things about that. I, uh, I did some coverage on a script. Uh, or I didn't do it. I sent it off for coverage, independent coverage. And, you know, that's, that's a different topic for a different day, but, but I sent it off for independent coverage cause I, it helps me at least know, does the story work or whatever. And it was a second draft. The first draft had come back from a, the same coverage house, came back from two different readers with a really strong consider 
on a first draft, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I was very fortunate and I, and it wasn't something I'd spend a ton of time on. So I was a little taken back by it. So I was like, maybe it's fluff. I'll send it out again just to make sure after I make a few changes because they had brought up some good points. It was still constructive. I sent it out in this and the, in the, just to one reader this time, the last time I did two or something and it came back and it was the most negative, like aggressively negative, not critiquing it. There's a big difference in critique and just being negative. I mean, it was just almost to the point of like saying, drop what you're doing and go get a job in some other industry yeah. because it's clearly not for you. But they couldn't give any points as to why it wasn't working. So I, I wrote back and I was like, hey, I'm not trying to be a nitpick. I'm just looking for something a little more with with like a critical response, not just a critical negative response. Right. Like there's no benefit to me. So why did I pay for someone to tell me that I'm barely, you know, uh, I can barely speak a speak English uh, <laughs> right out, out of the piece or write it rather. And so that's one of the things. And then for me, the other bit is that there's, there's a truth serum gag I like to play. And, and most people will tell you this at rap parties. I don't drink real heavily. I drink enough to have a good time. But at a rap party, a lot of times people have a few drinks. And I take that opportunity. We've just finished a movie. Everybody's happy about being done with the movie, but they had some emotional response. And what I do, and this is a terrible secret that will now be out, but what I like to do is go cast crew, whoever. I go up to them and I ask them, like, we'll just be having a conversation. Like, hey, real quick, just do you mind, like, just to help me? What can I do to improve? What did I do in your eyes that would give me a shot of improvement? And, you know, most of the time they come back with the most amazing criticisms that they wouldn't normally say because they I, they don't work with or for me again. I don't like the for, but they, they're not doing that directly right now. So they're in a space, they're happy, we're good. And I get some of the best feedback I've ever been given, like really brutally honest stuff. And it, and it, that way it can absorb it. Every once in a while you have to be careful doing it because somebody will fire a stinger at you and you have to be ready for those because somebody might be hurt or upset or carrying some piece of baggage. But it's a really, it's a stupid trick, but it's, it's honest at that point. Finish the movie and get feedback uh, is one of the things it's, it helps me grow. It also helps me deal with the emotional side of what I'm going about to go into. And, and uh, you'd kind of touched on it, but to, just to use your phrase, when, when we were discussing the topic of the show, this shit is hard. It is very hard. Yeah. I think, okay. Leading into that, I, I think part of a lot of the emotion that comes from this is this idea that filmmaking, being in the film industry, making movies is glamorous, is like cool and amazing and fun. And it, and it can be all of those things. But this is hard. It's dirty. It's mean. It's angry. Um, and I think most people catch that in their first film, you know, big or small, whatever it is. But there's always that part of you that wants it to be glamorous, you know, that part of, of course. you that, I, I, once I make this movie, once I get a budget of this much, once so-and-so reads this and lets me become part of that, whatever it is. Absolutely. There, somewhere out there, there's that thing. And once that happens, everything will be good. And I think that leads to a lot of those negative emotions because you know what? I have yet to see that place for anybody. No, no, I totally agree with you. And that, and that's the thing is I, I always view uh, going back to it and it's, I try and be very positive on set and I've had my screamer days. Anybody that's worked with me early on knows about my screamer days. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> but I learned very quickly that does it's counterproductive. Uh, but one of the things is now I try and appreciate every department and I, I like to run a joke with the ADs, you know, I'll, I, I you know, I'm, I'm earning my credits on the back of the call sheet because, you know, it's one of those things of uh, I'm giving art department time. So right now I'm an art department crew member and I will personally blockade a way of getting the AD off my back. Uh, luckily, Tony from the numbers isn't here to hear that, but I'll, I'll do these kind of things to do that, to offset it because I know it's hard and it's difficult. And the greatest challenge I'm going to have is when I need them to ask me how the movie's going and for me to show them something and see the excitement for them. Cause there's times in the edit bay when I'm putting it together and I'm alone in the dark with that movie or that project that I'm staring it down going, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> and I need their excitement when they were on set, that positivity to, to rain back. So it's kind of a, a balance yeah. in that emotional space. So, I mean, we talked about dealing with the struggle of rejection. So this is, this is dealing with uh, what the, the struggle of the pressure of actually oh, doing it. Right? Absolutely. And the pressure's there. To, I think no matter what level you're at, you have the, the hard work pressure, right? So, uh, you know, I, I can relate stories. You know, I'm on a really big movie. We're spending millions and millions of dollars trying to figure out this new technology. And it's experimental. And every day it may or may not work. 
um, you know, you could be a stunt person and you're rigging somebody up. And if you screw it up, you're going to kill one of the biggest stars ever. I mean, that's obviously a lot of big pressure, but that's not, that's not the only thing. I mean, on a smaller independent level, uh, you know, as, as, as we are, you know, you have a, a few million dollar movie, but still that is a lot of money and it's up to you, the director, producer to shepherd this millions of dollars and these hundreds of people into creating something that is a viable, successful thing, you know, that is, that is, you know, not just a business side of it, but also is a good film. Right. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a tremendous amount of pressure. From, and if you think about it, just for one second, think about it. It is from somebody's brain, a thought, a synapsis firing to creating reality. Right. You know, you're creating worlds from nothing. That is a lot of pressure. And there is no right answer. You know, it, it isn't necessarily like, you know, the guy comes up to you with a famous example. The guy comes up to you with a black cat or the, or the white cat. Which one is it? You know, you, you pick. You pick one. And, you know, it is a, a series of things that you answer that will eventually accumulate and make it right or wrong. But often you're having to make a decision that is feels really arbitrary. Um, and that, when you think about it in the moment, you're like, oh my, you know, this, this is a million dollars here and I just said this. And I don't know why I said that other than a gut feeling. And sometimes you're armed with information. Sometimes you've, you know, thought about it. But, you know, you're constantly a- answering questions and sometimes you just have to go with an answer. Right. And yeah, that's the, the beauty and, and the challenge behind that creative process, right, is that that risk is always there. And I think everybody that's in in the film side of it knows that has some of that space somewhere, whether they, they had it and they, they've worked long enough to get numb to it, which maybe is a blessing in some ways, um, or, or they constantly use it to help them stay motivated and stay on the edge or by staying on the edge, rather it keeps them so fiercely motivated. They make really thoughtful, you know, decisions, right? They're very, um, powerful decisions. It's the same thing. It's like, it comes down to, if you're in that seat of, Basically, if you're working, period, that's a success. Yeah. But then we also evaluate that excess against that success, uh, not excess, success. Uh, you you take the success and you put it up against a scale that we've created in, in some sort of, well, I'm not as successful as this guy or this yeah. guy or this gal or, or, you know, whoever. And you're not really, you're evaluating yourself against peers and not necessarily evaluating yourself considering the fact that you've done the, the impossible. And that does make you mighty. You're doing something amazing. That's a Firefly reference, of course. Nice. And you're pushing forward. That's a big deal. The success side of things is so crazy because it's so brutal. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, and I just it came out, I don't know, probably the end of uh, 2015. There was a bit on um, Peter Jackson and doing The Hobbit. Uh, and, you know, I was there and I saw things happening. But it was so interesting to see these interviews. And he's talking about how he never had enough time because of the way things happened. And he said, you know, I, there were so many times that I just did not know what was going to happen. And, you know, he, he said because of his experience, he felt like he was on set, he could make calls. But often it wasn't planned out. It wasn't, you know, he had to make the call then. And you think about, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested. And here is one person with that on his shoulders. And yes, he's surrounded by a team of people obviously. But in that moment, you feel like it's all on your shoulders. And, you know, felt like he was behind the gun the whole time making these calls. And, you know, some people criticize and say, oh, the Hobbit movies were horrible and this is why. And some people love the Hobbit movies and say Peter Jackson is amazing because he could do it under this, you know, extreme. But either way, that's a lot of stress. It's absolutely. And with that, it's the 41 minute mark. So my question for you is saddest movie or the movie that made you cry the most? Uh, Graveyard of Fireflies, the, um, um, the anime, the anime. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, for me, it is, uh, the notebook. Oh, uh, really? I can't even handle it. Wow. I've seen it twice, both times too much. Amazing. Yeah. It pulls too much emotion for me. It's a great love story. Wait, okay. You okay. ever watched it? You don't have to defend yourself. It's fine. Yeah. I look, I'm a man <laughs> that loves to cry. I love to cry. If you can make me cry in a movie, good for you. That's emotional release for me. Yeah. Uh, my Catharsis. aunt used to say, <laughs> it is. She used to say, you know, like sometimes you need a good rain to clear the gutters. And that's exactly where it comes down to. That's the other thing is kind of going through all this. And, you know, certainly for me, some of the depression side of that, some of these trigger depression mm-hmm. for me is sometimes I just need that big emotional swell 
and I need to take that break to step back and, and let it all go and cry it out. Whether it's from making the decisions on set, I try and go home, decompress and let my emotional state like try and balance back out best I can. Sometimes I have control. Sometimes I don't. That's just the reality of what I deal with. But it's kind of pushing through that. The anchor for me has always been my family. I always have uh, for me. I, my, and my family's not just that of my wife and, and kids. It's my extended family, your family. Like we've mm. talked about the brotherhood that we, we share. Uh, the crew for me, a lot of the crew that I've worked with multiple times, the reason I use the same crew is because they're family. And I've cried on their shoulders. We got, you know, uh, one of the films, We there was a very hostile situation that occurred on set. And I was out with uh, the production designer and the DP and we were all at, and when this started to unfold, and I called you. I think you were working on Fast Seven. I was working on Fast Seven, and I was I'm in just LA. bawling my call. eyes out, yeah. pacing this parking lot, crying, snot coming out of my nose. I think I was in full sniffles <laughs> dealing with it because I knew what it meant going forward, and it did have that impact. But I needed to release that emotion then. So I, yeah. one of my big things, like, is the family side of it. Like, the, the same thing that saves me, right, mm-hmm. in, the, in these tough times, is also something that sometimes triggers it. Because it is a challenge if you have a family and, and you work in this business and it is long hours. It's hard work, as we've said from day mm-hmm. one. It's brutal. Sometimes I look at my wife and kids. I'm like, God, I'm just a piece of crap because I'm never here. I mean, there's times I'm yeah. just not home. Or if I am home, my brain is not in that space. My brain, I can't just shut it off. You're trying to decompress. I'm trying to, or I'm in writing mode. Oh, uh, yeah. And suddenly ideas are flowing. I'm like, oh, crap, not right now. You know, it's like I can't. So... Yeah, it's, it's how do you exact how do you deal with this? We talked a little bit about the rejection thing, but how do you deal with the realities of the pressures of this? And you see it. You, I mean, look, you see people, you know, d- drinking too much. You see people, sure. you know, or, or they get addicted to working. You know, in, in that, just like you said, you feel bad when you go home, and you know it's hard to deal with the family sometimes because you know you have you're doing this hard work. I've seen people go full into work. And it's like they feel so bad going home to their family that it just work becomes the thing that, you know, makes them numb. So they keep doing the work and they just ruin their family. Or the absence of work. Oh, God. Which is the lull. Oh, the struggle. Yeah. Because you come out of December into January and it's that lull. Unless you're lucky enough to line up a show, you hit that lull. And that's the same thing. The Christmas comes along or the holidays, rather, I should say, to be fair. The holidays come along and, and you suddenly are looking at this point of like, gosh, we... I'm not incoming. Oh, yeah. uh, January mortgage, January yeah. mortgage or yeah. rent or whatever the case is. Yeah. And that's a brutal, it's heavy, man. And and that's one of the triggers. Uh, again, that could be a trigger for some people and, and certainly challenges into it. And then there's always that other side of it that I was, I, the biggest struggle I have is jealousy to be just completely candid right yeah. now. I struggle. I, I can get jealous over anybody working. And I just mean in any department, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with, their creative status level. It's just the fact that sometimes uh, on, on this side of it, I, I directing, I'm prepping and producing, I'm yeah. prepping so much. I turn around and I see uh, second ACs and first AC friends of mine that are on set and they're doing something. I'm like part of me just being candid and I love them as family and there's nothing against them. Yeah. It's a personal thing with me. I'm like, I'm, 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 Oh, you son of a gun. Like in my <laughs> head, I'm so, you know, I'm gritting my teeth with frustration and anger but in reality, it's nothing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy for him, but I still can't fight off that little bit. I mean, do you ever struggle with oh, the? Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because there, it is that intellectually we know that this is a big business and there's plenty of room for people. And you know, my talents, my uh, connections, my hard work will pay off, and I'll, you know. But then, you know, you have somebody that you know, be it a good friend or be it somebody maybe you know on Facebook that you met at a film festival. And you look at it and they suddenly, you know, their film that, you know, is some horror film they did for 50 grand gets picked up and has a nationwide release. And, you know, you were on set and you realized it was chaos and nobody knew what they were doing and this and that. And you're like, why did that happen? You know, why isn't that happening for me? And, you know, we we should be supporting them and helping them because that's what we are meant to do, right? We're meant to be supportive of our friends and we do but I, I could be wrong maybe it's just me and maybe it's just you but sometimes that human element of well why why doesn't that happen for me i'm smart i'm creative why isn't that break happening for me and i get jealous um i totally absolutely relate and you know i, I don't 
I, I do my best. I don't think I have ever taken it out on anybody. And I don't want to diminish anybody else's creativity or anything else like that because we're all on our own path, you know, and we're all doing our own thing. But it's hard to see sometimes when it's January and I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. And I've been writing a script for a year and I've been trying to get this off the ground. And then, you know, my gardener, you know, <laughs> wrote a script that he's got on the blacklist. And I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. It's um, always the gardener, too. It is the gardener is always. Gardener. It's, yeah, it is. But uh, yeah. The I, constant gardener uh, no uh, no, yeah? no no it's so, constantly the gardener that would have been funnier All so right, go ahead. i think it's a good human thing to 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 look at and and to deal with and not to let it take you down and not to let those feelings that are human and come up take over and affect you negatively and affect your relationships negatively um you know and then i you know the next step i'd say that people will deal with is dealing with success not that I can deal, you know, say too much about the struggles of success, but um, you uh, you see it. You see, I guess on the especially like the children, the 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 child stars. Right. How often do you see somebody that has just totally fallen apart at some point because of their success? Right. Sorry, that was, I just want to say, Drew. Uh, I was taking pictures for the podcast with your watch. Shut up, man. With your Dick Tracy watch. I just wanted to do it. I'm still listening. <laughs> I, you were supposed to keep going. Well, I, did, I just I just found it amusing. Yeah. Talking about, it talk about success and your Dick Tracy watch. Well, that was a Christmas gift. That's a different beast. <laughs> no, but look, I, I also, there is the thing of you start getting successful and you get the feeling maybe that, you know, the jealousy we just talked about. And maybe some of your friends are jealous and they aren't able to deal with it in a healthy way and they're expressing it to you. And then you're like, wait, I thought you were my friends, right? So suddenly the people who were your friends now are, it feels like they're rooting against you. And then there's the other people, if you're successful and you have contacts, maybe suddenly it feels like, are you only talking to me because I'm successful? Because two months ago, before I had the success, you didn't talk to me. And you see, you know, dealing with this... Um, kind of, you know, these new things, you start to deal with it with cynicism. And then on top of that, you have the pressure we talked about before, and maybe you're adding other addictive things happening to it, addicted to work or to alcohol or to drugs or whatever, to relationships. And now suddenly you've got this kind of like perfect storm of cynicism and, and feeling like everybody's out to get you and feeling your own success and you have tons of money or fame or whatever, so you can have access to a lot more stuff. And, you know, suddenly it becomes a train wreck. And, you know, how, how do you deal with that? And I think that goes back to the positivity that we talked about, you know, with Jalen and with The Rock and trying to keep everything in perspective. That's the trick, right, is doing that. And so, you know, one of the things is just to say to everybody listening that, that may or may not, some people may be very fortunate, never have to deal with any of this. And, and because for them, it doesn't affect them that way. But for those of us that do deal with with some of this and, and deal with some depression sides and whatnot, you're not alone ever. You're never alone. Uh, you can always send an email, and I'm not doing it as a plug to us, but you can send one, and I'll do my best to respond to you. But if not me, find somebody. There is someone you can talk to. There's always people to talk to. Uh, true friends will listen no matter what. And those that, that even sometimes you just need to dump and just yeah. tell them. You know, I have a bad habit of trying to solve a problem for my wife. So she's upset about something. I don't want to say it's all men, but for, for me it is, right? And I, I try and solve a problem when in reality the truth is she just wants to be heard. And so I've learned to just shut up. She looks at me and tells me, get that kind of relationship. You don't have to be married to have it. I have it with you. Yeah. I'll turn and tell you. We had a conversation today. It was something intimate. And I turned to you and told you, it was like, I am not, I'm just saying this so I can say it. And I got it out because I wanted to get it across to you out of love. And I needed to say it. I needed to say it for me to release something in me that I was, was pin, you know, it was pinning up. So I think that's one of the things is you're never alone. So, so in doing that and transition over, like sometimes there's little solutions. Like we both share kind of a, a call it a nerdy solution, yeah, but it yeah. works for the two of us in a lot of ways in dealing with it. It helps us creatively because it's a very creative exercise. It also helps us kind of sometimes maybe take out those frustrations and project into something else. And, and that for us is role-playing games. Yeah. Right? Hobbies. Role-playing hobbies games. and a hobby. 
And for us, the hobby of that is a role-playing game. And it's an important thing. A hobby is crucial. I think anybody needs to have something not business-related that's a hobby. I, I, we, need to, we need to be specific because, you know, we are n- nerds and uh, geeks here. And uh, it is a pen and paper role-playing game. We're not talking about, you know, like a role-playing game on the computer or video game because... You know, no, that that for some people that works too. For exactly. us, for us, it is pen and paper, paper role playing game. Yeah, it is Star Wars related, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah, nerds. But the the hobby thing is crucial, and I found years ago I didn't have one, and this was more when I was in the advertising and marketing sector. I didn't have a hobby, and I found myself just getting because that's the grind. Yeah, and I found myself just getting so frustrated, and I found a hobby, and it worked for me, and it actually taught me more about business and myself. So the hobby actually benefited me into my work life into my personal life, that's a good hobby. And usually those are the ones that stick. Yeah. Because I'm the kind of guy that's bounced. I've gone through every hobby there is. <laughs> I tried golf, broke a golf club, gave up. That's yeah. just not for me. But finding that piece, I think, is a very important part of it. Yeah. And exercise, I know it's, it's you know, sounds cliche. Your doctor will tell you and, you know, mom will tell you. But if that hobby is exercise, or even if it's not, you should probably exercise. Because I know when I stop doing whatever the exercise is, I start to feel it, you know, I start to emotionally, I'll get cranky or I'll get titchy. And, um, so one of my hobbies is martial arts. I'll do, you know, kickboxing or something like that. I'm, I'm not good. Like, you know, a kindergartner will beat me up, but you know, it is, it is fun pretending like I am a power ranger, you know, <laughs> there you go. There, that there's is your, a lot your of hobby fun. is being a power ranger. Yeah, um, the other thing that we've talked about that sometimes works is just, if you have access to gear, it can be a camera phone, it can be yeah. a podcast, like this is somewhat of a hobby, kind of, not really, we wanted to, you know, give something else out. A creative outlet. But it's a creative outlet. Exactly. So finding a creative outlet that maybe isn't directly in the space that you can do, that you can control, that you manage, that is all you and you don't have to worry about it, make a short film. We mm-hmm. did a short called The Saturday. We just needed to shoot something. We were in the position of like, I just need to do something. You were, You felt the same way. We wrote something, we shot it. We had fun with cast and crew. It cost us 300 bucks, I think, yeah. total. Which, you know, maybe you don't have 300 bucks and find a way of doing it without it. Just get into it and do something creative. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a short. I, I, that's an example. But uh, any sort of creative outlet is always sort of a, I find, another angle to, to help me out in the slump. Well, and, you know, we're, the good thing, we're talking about emotions, right? You know, dealing with emotions. Let's not forget that this industry that we are in, it's creative, it's a business, it's all those things. But in the end, in my perspective, we're dealing with emotions, right? We're dealing, we're dealing with that's how people connect to a film. If it's you know a fun ride, they're having that that roller coaster emotion of like this is great, or you know you just said it, you cry at a good movie. Um, I have a friend who uh, just saw episode seven recently, um, and in the line for getting popcorn to go in to uh, see the film. Uh, he uh, got the phone call from overseas that his father was in the hospital and probably wouldn't live for another week. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing he could do. He couldn't, like, leave, you know, and jump right. on a plane. So, he, you know, he goes and he watches the movie. And obviously it takes on a new meaning at that point. Yeah, just be careful of the spoiler. Uh, I'm, uh, I don't know if you want to commit all the way. But... I wasn't going to commit. Okay, I, go I was ahead. Gonna... Sorry. Um, and the uh, – yeah, so – the, uh, the the emotion of that film obviously was heightened for him, but also it was, it was a catharsis. It was something that he could feel and relate to, and those images and sounds on that screen were entering his head and letting him process these emotions, and they were coming out. You know, he said there were parts where he cried in the film, you know, like, why, why, is, why is this guy crying next to me? But it was a real emotion, and we as filmmakers need to realize that that is, that is part of what we deal in, is we are dealing in this world of eliciting emotions in people and sometimes it's cheap and hackneyed emotions you know like when we you know shoot the dog or something in old yeller or maybe that wasn't cheap maybe that was really emotional for you but it is always dealing with some kind of emotion and perhaps that's a good thing to help you deal with your own sometimes going back and seeing a movie uh, in the theater you know helps me deal with those types of emotions yeah i totally kind of almost consider it like a oddly like a church thing uh going to the theater is is my moment to re-zenify myself and get some kind of emotional response i may or may not have had before so in going to that you had brought up earlier this little study you came across i thought it was a great way to kind of wrap things up if you don't mind yeah uh, sure kind of going through it i mean it's coming full circle um 
there's this, uh, I was just saw this uh, TED Talk, and I did a little more research on it. And there was a, a researcher from Harvard, and they've done um, apparently the, the longest uh, study um, on uh, psychology and human emotions, uh, and still running, and it started, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact date. I think it started in the 30s or the 40s, and it, it was the 40s, here we go. And it followed about 2,000 men. Um, just out of high school, couples, you know, separate groups, some well-off guys, some guys in the slums, uh, and just every year they check in and talk about the quality of life and, you know, exercise, food, relationships. And what they wanted to find out is, do you, are you happier? Have you led a better life if you're rich? Have you led a, a better life if you're famous? You know, these things that we say we aspire for, including in this industry, right? That thing we were saying Absolutely. earlier. Once we get to this place, we'll Absolutely. be happy. Right. Um, and apparently after 75 years of uh, study, they've come to, uh, you know, one very clear conclusion about what leads to a happy life and what leads to also health. Health was a big part of this as well. And it's your relationships, it, wow. it, it wasn't how rich any of them were or how hard they worked. It was having good, solid relationships. Um, there's a, every single time there's a direct correlation between how happy and successful their relationships were with their partners, with their friends, with their work people, and their health, how long they lived, uh, and how happy they were. And in the converse, how lonely somebody was, was apparently led to um, premature death, you know, a very high percentage of the time. Uh, and I think that's really important to remember in this business where, like I said earlier, people are trying to tell us what we want. This business where we're always competing with one another and we're getting jealous. I mean, I've been jealous of you and, you know, and, you know, these things that we deal with that in the end, creating and and nurturing healthy relationships is the thing that is going to make us happy and the beautiful part for me in film is you can make a movie by yourself but i think the best movies are made with others and you're made with an audience in mind and you have a crew and a, and a cast and a group of people supporting you that is a relationship that you're building now granted it might only be two months a month 10 days, two years, but it's still a relationship going forward. So you can build that then. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I mean, we, we interviewed Jalen, you know, he's still in your life and bringing positiveness into your life and now into mine. And these are relationships and, and, you know, and that's the thing that will help us get through this uh, tough and sometimes treacherous world of uh, filmmaking. Yeah. So with that said, just, one last time, you're never alone. If you're struggling with anything, please reach out. Uh, find somebody. There are, there are people that are, are there to listen if you're struggling through it. Um, find friends, find family, find whoever you can to talk to and tell them straight up. Just give them the preface. You need to hear this. I need to tell you this. I need to talk this out. Or do what my wife does and say, shut up and listen. And that's her cue to me to, to shut up and listen and not try and solve the equation. With that said, you know, stay frosty, stay sharp. Set your goals and cut. Still rolling. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to ask us a question or tell us a little bit of uh, advice on how to get a job, uh, remember you can get in touch with us at uh, betweenthelinepodcast at gmail.com. You can email us. You can also look us up on our website, frame29films.com. Send us an email, a message, uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Absolutely. You sound like a, a voice uh, answering machine. Thank you very much. You've reached between the lines. <laughs> yeah, podcasts. exactly. So the other thing is, uh, if you're listening on iTunes, or if you if you have a moment, if you could just give us a quick review on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. Uh, it just lets us know where we stand on feedback. We're asking for a critique. Yeah. So feel free to do so. We're big boys, and, and we want to grow and get better. So that's something you can give to us, and we'd be forever grateful. Thank you. Cut. Thank you for listening to the Mobcast Network.